When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Have you heard about the incredibly effective safe empowerment system for social anxiety? Visit quietbegins.com and check out what some people are saying is helping their anxiety finally go away. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. This is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction and handle toxic situations with grace and ease and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I just recorded probably about 30, 20 or 30 minutes of um, audio for this episode. And um, to be honest, I, I want to delete it. <laughs> I just recorded a topic on hypochondria. You know, I received an email last year and I've been wanting to get through all my emails uh, faster. And I haven't been able to do it that fast. And uh, the topic of hypochondria came up in one of the emails and I thought, okay, this would be a good topic to talk about. You know, I've had a, a tick bite me before and I thought I had Lyme disease. So let's talk about hypochondria. <laughs> well, that was my original thought. And uh, that's the first 20 or 25 minutes of the episode that I recorded that I decided to throw away. And that's hard to do. It's like uh, that was 20 minutes of my time and my thoughts that I'm just throwing out the window. And so here I am re-recording this segment, realizing that I don't have much to say on hypochondria. I mean, there are times when I felt uh, a fear of something happening and it has to do with obsession and it has to do with um, not knowing, not knowing enough of what there is to know. And so you have this unfinished business sort of feeling like if I don't know what's going to happen, then I have a fear that develops. And I think there's an underlying uh, cause for that. Like if you have obsession or hypochondria or you know, almost one and the same sometimes, uh, where do you think that developed? Your fear of something being true. Or in the case of hypochondria, your fear of being sick or having a condition or a disease. Where does it come from? I mean... I'm not going to explore this too much today, but if anyone listening now uh, deals with this, where they're doing binge searches on the internet to find all the symptoms to justify what they're feeling and what they're going through, because you just have to know, because if you know, uh, then what? You know, that's the, one of the first questions I might ask someone like that is, okay, let's just say everything is true. Then what? Well, then I, then I have to go to the hospital. Okay. You go to the hospital and you get it resolved. Then what? Well, once it's resolved, I'll feel better. Okay, um, let's just say that uh, you didn't find something wrong with you. Then what? Well, then I'll feel better then too. Okay, so your ultimate goal is to feel better. Well, yeah, of course, I want to feel better. Okay, so um, when you do the search, do you feel better that you're getting more knowledge? Yes, I feel better that I'm getting more knowledge. That does help. 
okay, so the search and acquisition of knowledge, the, the acquisition of data is helpful to you. You know, I'm going through an example scenario here. And they might say, yeah, you know, when I learn more, I feel better. And so I might ask, okay, why do you desire so much knowledge? And they might say, well, I don't really desire it until I, something happens to me and then I want to know more about it. Okay, what would happen if you didn't know more? Well, I might go crazy. I might pull my hair out. I might wonder what's wrong with me. And by knowing more, it helps me alleviate those fears. Okay, you know, I'm going through a questioning process, kind of streaming subconscious here of what I would do if a client was in front of me and uh, they were going through some sort of obsessive episode and they just needed to know, needed to know. So I might ask, okay, let's just say there was no internet and you had no access to a library and no one you knew had the answers. So now you're stuck not knowing and never being able to find out what happens then. And, uh, you know, the gears would turn in their brain and they would try to figure out, well, well, I, I think I would just stay in fear that something was wrong. And then I might ask, well, how long will that fear last? Well, that sounds indefinite. It might last a long time. It might last weeks or months or years. Okay, so if you think you have something, let's just pretend that there's a certain time period that's going to pass where you realize, oh, I don't have something. Or something that I'm fearing is going to happen isn't going to happen. You know, this is where I start asking you to uh, set a deadline. Let's just say that nothing happens in a week's time. Will you feel better about it? Let's just say that what you fear coming true doesn't come true. Do you feel better about it now? And they might say, well, after a week, yeah, I guess if it didn't happen by then, uh, I might feel better, but, you know, it could happen the next week. Okay, let's just say a month went by and nothing happened. Would you feel better about it then? And you go through your thought process and, well, if a month went by and nothing happened, I, I guess I would. But it's an ongoing fear. Like, I fear being broke every month. That could be like an obsessive thought you have. Okay, let's just say that a year goes by and you're never broke. You always make it. You always survive. You always find a way. Do you still have the fear? And if you were my client in front of me and you had these fears, I would continue drilling down into the fear to find out where the fear expires. Where does the fear finally suspend where you can get past it? Because you know where I'm going to go, right? You know that I'm going to ask, all right, let's just say 10 years went by and you weren't completely dead broke because you always found a way or you never got that disease or that person never did that thing that you feared or never um, called you out or never yelled at you. You know, let's just say that 10 years went by and none of that, none of that ever happened. Would you still carry the fear? So I'm keeping all of my questions based on time. I want you to remember this. When you question yourself based on time, it does change things in your mind because all fears are constructed in the bounds of time. I mean, if you think about it, you can say, okay, well, I've always been afraid of spiders. And I might ask, okay, will you be afraid of spiders after you're dead? <laughs> <laughs> and you might say, well, I'll be a different person after I'm dead, or I won't exist at all after I'm dead, or I'll be in heaven, or whatever your belief is. And then I might say, so you won't be afraid of spiders in heaven. <laughs> or you won't be afraid of spiders when you come back as a donkey, or, <laughs> or whatever your belief is. Again, I'm not trying to encroach on anyone here. Um, but I would want to know uh, when that fear ends for you. Or do you just carry it around everywhere all the time, forever? This helps you break out of the self-imposed barriers, the self-imposed boundaries that you put around any fears inside of you. You know, asking time-based questions. Okay, after you're dead. That's an odd question and it doesn't make sense probably to some people. Uh, but if it doesn't make sense, doesn't that help you break outside of the boundaries of the fear? Like we have a certain construction of fear inside of our mind and asking questions based on time. And there are more ways to ask questions. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but uh, just time, time itself. How did you feel before the fear? You know, there's a time-based question. 
How did you feel a hundred years before the fear started? There's another time-based question that it doesn't make any sense, you know, to some people. To others, it might be, well, of course, that was my past life, or that was my bloodline, and I'm carrying around that bloodline. And other people will say, I didn't exist before 100 years ago, so I don't know. Yeah, but imagine if you put your brain there for a minute. How did it feel 100 years before the fear? Just put your brain there. See what happens. Well, if I, 100 years before the fear, you might go into a voidy trance-like state. That could be a very helpful state. That could be a very resourceful state. How did it feel before the fear? How about this? Where is the fear if I take it and put it in the future? You might think, oh, it's in front of me. That means I'm facing it and I have fear about it. No, no, no. I'm taking the fear about the fear and putting that in the future too. Now you might be going a little trancey, a little voidy. If not, then if you have any thoughts about the fear or any anxiety around the fear, I want to take that and put it in the future as well. It's all in the future. So where are you today with it? If the fears and the anxiety are all in the future, where are you today? How does it feel with that way in the future? I might get a response of, it feels really good because it's not here today. I also might get a response of, I don't like that feeling because I know it's coming. <laughs> so we have these time-based questions that we put some stuff in the future. Let's do this. Let's take the fear you have today about whatever's going to happen or whatever's happening in your mind or whatever's happening in your life uh, and put that in the past. Okay, let's take that fear and put it in the past. I'll say about 150 years. That doesn't make any sense. Well, do it anyway. <laughs> Just take the fears and all the anxieties and all the trepidation and anything else associated with those fears and put it in the past. Yeah, but I'm still thinking about it. That's okay. We're going to take that fear and put it in the past because we are here now. And whatever's happening has caused some sort of fear in you. How do you feel with the fear way in the past? Well, I still think about it. And it might be a, I don't know, emotional trigger. You know, I'm making stuff up. Or it could be I don't feel it at all. Or it could be uh, I have this feeling about it. All right, take that feeling and put it in the past. So these are all time-based questions. They're not exactly solutions. They're not exactly uh, the fix, but they could be very helpful. And this kind of questioning that has to do with time uh, is helpful for anxiety. Because one of my favorite things about anxiety is that it's based on time. It's usually something I'm afraid will happen in the future. And then I ask, okay, so what happens after that thing happens or after that thing never happens? What do you feel then? Because putting yourself in that state, in that state of mind, in that present moment thinking, even though you're talking about time and future and past, you are presently thinking about what it feels like to be after the event that you feared. That puts you in a different state of mind. And this can be a very helpful quick fix if you need it in the moment. And this is just time. We're going to visit some other types of questioning in the next segment. So play with these and make up your own and think about any questions you can ask yourself based on time. For example, we'll use another money example. Uh, next month, I have a fear that I won't have enough money. Okay, what kind of time-based question can you ask about that? How about this one? What would happen if the money I need came back from the future and fell into my lap today? You know, I don't want you to think this is new age airy-fairy thinking. This is just a repatterning exercise, meaning the fear pattern that your mind is in right now. Let's change that and ask ourselves what would happen if the money I needed from the future fell into my lap right now. How would that feel? it should change your state a little bit. I mean, if your issue is with money, if it's not, then think of an issue that you're working with some sort of fear. It should change your state a little bit. Or what would happen if the money I needed in the future came in from the past and suddenly showed up? How does that feel? How about this? What if I found out in the future that I was going to be dead broke and happy? <laughs> now I have no money, but I'm happy. And I have no fears and no stress. Again, if your issues with money, you, you look at something and you introduce the concept 
of it coming true, but also being okay with it. Just a concept, just conceptualization, visualization, internal materialization, repatternization, however you want to look at it. When we come back, I'm going to introduce some more ways of thinking that helps you get past your fears of not knowing what's going to happen. It's sort of an obsession episode. It can work with hypochondria like I was starting to talk about at the beginning. It can work with a lot of things. But uh, self-questioning and guiding yourself into a better space, at least for the moment, helps break you through current restrictive barriers of the patterns that you're in nowadays. And that can be a huge, huge help. We'll be right back. sent out an email to the subscribers on my newsletter um, the other day, and the subject line said, if you don't have anxiety, don't open this, seriously. And uh, one of the reasons I did that is because I wanted only people that had anxiety to open the email, and I know that people that didn't have anxiety also opened it because they wanted to find out, hey, what are these people with anxiety getting <laughs> that I'm not getting? And uh, I'm only telling you this because I offered something special. If you decided to read the entire email, I offered something special regarding the safe empowerment system. So if it's in your junk mail, if it's in your spam, it's in the deleted folder, and you've been thinking about getting the safe empowerment system, you may want to check it out. It's a special offer that I have uh, for people on my newsletter. And also, I included a free gift. So if you're one of those people that says, eh, I'm not going to read this newsletter, I'm going to skip it, you might have missed my free gift. What is it? It's an audio that I created specifically for anxiety sufferers that I wanted to share so that anyone suffering from anxiety could try this very unique process that I'm sharing on the audio and uh, hopefully help diminish or dissolve anxiety, at least in the moment that you're experiencing it. And that's what the safe empowerment system is all about, at least the emergency pod section where you throw in an emergency pod and you listen to it. And we address the anxiety right away. The, the anxiety that's coming up for you, it's like something you can play on your phone or your tablet while you're out and about, and you'll be guided to dissolve the anxiety. That's the whole point of the safe empowerment system. It acts like a master class as a whole, but then we have these mini pods called emergency pods and learning pods that you can play to help you both long-term and short-term for the future and for the now. You know, we're talking about time in the first segment. Uh, what would happen if your anxiety disappeared yesterday? That would be nice. <laughs> Another time-based question. So if you didn't get the email, that's okay. You can still go to quietbegins.com and check out the safe empowerment system. You, mo you won't get the gift that was included in the email. And if you're not on the email list, I highly recommend you get on it, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. You'll see on a pop-up or on the right side of the screen that says TOB Insights, the Emotional Intelligence Newsletter. Highly recommend you get on that because every now and then I'll throw a gift your way and maybe it'll be exactly what you're looking for. Maybe you can pass it on to a friend, but those on my newsletter, you know, you get those things every now and then. So sorry if you missed it, if you're not on it, but again, head over to quietbegins.com and you can see the full safe empowerment system for social anxiety. And like I've stressed before, it's evolved into something more into helping anyone with any anxiety. So it might be perfect for you wherever you are with yours if you're experiencing it. And if you are, quietbegins.com and sign up for the newsletter at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I don't want you to miss a thing. Welcome back. We're talking about all the different things that we can do with the thoughts, the negative thoughts that come up, or even positive thoughts, but we like to work with negative thoughts because we try to not have those. We try not to experience those. Uh, sometimes we try to avoid those building resistance and uh, building more negativity in our body and in our mind. Um, and what I like to do is try to work with thought in a way that is different than the way we think. And 
the way you can do that is working with your thoughts in a way that you introduce different concepts to the thought. The concept of time, for example. Like if you said, I'm so scared I'll get a flat tire because my tires are bald. You might say, would I be scared if I knew that already happened? (laughs) You know, you could ask yourself that question. It's a time-based question. So I love introducing concepts like that. And we worked with time in the last segment. I want to introduce some other concepts, something called submodalities, something I learned in neuro-linguistic programming that uh, helps you change thought, change the meaning of thought, change your perception, and overall really change your reality. Because your reality is basically how you represent reality. And without getting too deep there, it's sort of like when you look at a blue car and you can picture it in your mind, what you're actually seeing in your mind is not reality. It's just a representation of reality. It's a snapshot of what you just saw. And even the process of seeing the colors and having it processed through your visual cortex and having it appear in your mind is not real. In fact, if I told you to look at a blue car and imagine that it was pink, you could probably do it. Most people could do it. Or if I told you to listen to a dog, but instead of a bark, you heard a quack, you could probably do it. And what's cool about that is that you can get negative thoughts and change these thoughts using these conceptualizations, using time, for example, or using the submodalities that we're going to talk about in a moment and feel differently after you do it. For example, if you have some past trauma of a dog bite and I told you to remember that past trauma, you might not feel very pleasant. It might feel scary. You might cry. You might have some sort of post-traumatic stress response. But if I told you, okay, when the dog comes up to you, I want you to imagine that it's wearing roller skates. And I also want you to imagine that it's wearing a a ballerina's tutu. And uh, as it comes up to you, you know, it doesn't change the bite. It doesn't change the pain. And it doesn't change the fact that it happened. But as you think about this dog on his roller skates in the tutu, maybe wearing a big top hat, uh, it changes some of the feelings around it. So again, that may be very traumatic if you've gone through that and it may not change too much for you. But just those little things that change what happened in your mind, not in the real life, but in your mind, which more or less is real life, can change how you feel about it. For example, when I think about um, my first girlfriend dumping me, and uh, I was like 18 or something, and I was crying and crying and crying, and I can picture her face, you know, she seemed kind about it, she seemed like she wanted to let me down easy, but if I chose to put a donkey head on her body (laughs) and uh, see her talking through a donkey's mouth, then any pain that I might have associated with that uh, changes. At least when I do this, in this memory, you know, I'm not too traumatized by that anymore. But if there were any trauma in that space, in that time, then changing something about that memory as I remember it changes the feeling. It can change the meaning too. It can change a lot of things. And when it comes up again and I have that memory and then suddenly I see a donkey's head instead of her head, I'm going to have a different reaction to it. And so this is what I love about We don't really experience reality. We interpret reality. And what we experience from this point on is what we represent as reality in our mind. And so if we have control of this representation, we can change the representation. And I like that thought. I like being able to do that. Because sometimes we carry around the same memory and we replay it over and over again. And it recalls the same emotions. We feel the same way and it has the same meaning. And it's just like a record player that never ends and just continues to play the same song over and over again the same way. And we don't want these memories continuing to plague us like that. And we have the ability to change them. We just have to be okay doing it. And it doesn't mean it never happened. It doesn't mean that so-and-so is still not responsible for what they did or this other person is not to blame or it doesn't mean any of that. It just means how we want to feel every day, how we want to feel in the present moment. 
Because if you're carrying around any type of pain or hurt, negativity of any sort, and you don't want to feel that, you don't want to carry this negativity into the future, then maybe this episode will help you change things around. So that's what this is about. I'm going to get into the other ways we can alter the representation of reality in our mind. So if you're ready to alter some of your representations, if you're ready to look at something that's happening in your life that may feel negative or something that did happen that you don't like the feeling about, let's change some things. We talked about time in the last segment. Let's talk about submodalities. What are submodalities? Uh, in a nutshell, I, I don't even have to use that term. Let's just forget that term. Let's just talk about your senses because the modalities are your senses. So we can have sight. We can have sound, which is visual and auditory. We can have um, smell and taste and also kinesthetic, like feeling. Like I can grab a cactus, which is not fun, or I can grab a tennis ball, which is more pleasant. But that is the feeling that I have. That is the uh, kinesthetic feeling, what we touch on our skin. Not everyone is born with all these senses. I completely understand. I know two people that don't have the sense of smell. Uh, that's great when you're around things that don't smell well. I don't think it's so good, though, when you're around delicious food and you can't smell it and you probably can't taste it. I don't think they can taste food. So that's a bummer. <laughs> it's not fun. But I'm sure that they utilize their other senses when it comes to you know, living their life. And if you've never had it, maybe you don't miss it. Who knows? But I do know that we can work with what we have and we can apply it to thought. So let's just do some things and get rid of all this explanation stuff. The modalities are senses, and there's a lot more senses in our body, of course, but I'm just talking about the five main senses, are what we're going to apply to our thought to alter our thought. So we're going to take our modalities, which are our external senses, and make them internal. And that's why they called sub-modalities. They're going inside. Our sub-modalities are our imagination. That could be visual. Uh, when we visualize something, we're using the submodality of visual. Uh, it could be auditory. We can imagine hearing something. We can imagine tasting something. We can imagine smelling something. And we can imagine feeling something. That's the wonderful thing about imagination. And I realize that some people listening may not have the ability to do all of these things because I've met people that had trouble visualizing, for example. And if you do have trouble doing any of these things, all I want you to do is pretend. That's it. Just pretend. For example, I was working with someone who said, I don't understand. You said you can visualize a clock on the wall. I don't see a clock on the wall. Can you actually see a clock on the wall? And I said, well, when I visualize it, I can. And she said, well, I can't. You know, is there something wrong with me? And I said, well, no, maybe it's just the way you're doing it. And I said, well, can you pretend there's a clock on the wall? And she goes, well, of course I can pretend there's a clock on the wall. And I asked her, well, what does it look like? And she goes, well, it um, has a yellow smiley face. And I said, there you go. <laughs> and she said, what? That's all you do? That's what it means? And I said, yes. If you can't figure it out, just pretend it's there. If you can't figure out what it tastes like, just pretend you can taste it. If you can't hear it, just pretend you hear it. And suddenly the image or the sound or the taste comes and you can work with it. And, you know, it can take some practice. But uh, for the most part, most of us can daydream. So we'll just utilize that. So let's take a thought. Let's get into this. Let's take a problem in your life. Just think about a problem in your life. Something that gives you a bad feeling. I'm sure it'll come up right away. Problems that in our life usually come up right away. It's easy to recall them. And I want you to think about what that problem looks like. So come up with the visual in your mind of what that problem looks like. And so when you come up with the visual, you may say, well, it, there is no visual to it. I, again, just make it up. If I said, you know, it's a, something that someone said to me, but I can't picture them, just put a picture there. Make a visual of it. And you can be creative if you don't have a good visual. You can be creative. For example, um, somebody might say, well, I always have a stomach ache. And they may not have a visual of it. Sure, you can visualize the stomach. Sure, you can picture what's inside the stomach. That could happen. Or some people may visualize this gray sponge. Like when I visualize my problem, all I see is a gray sponge. 
whatever you have to work with is great. So after you have the visual, what I want you to do is make the visual in your mind smaller. So now we're changing a characteristic of the submodality of visual. We're going to make that visual smaller. So if it's a gray sponge, it's really tiny. You know, make it the size of your thumb. And no matter what the visual is, if you see a person, make him or her the size of your thumb. If you see you're in a room, if you see you're, you're in a city, you make the whole thing the size of your thumb. And as you do that, I want you to notice the feeling you have about the problem. Seeing the problem in front of you the size of your thumb. Does the feeling change? Whether it does or doesn't, that's okay because this is all experimentation. So now I want you to zoom the problem large as life and make it bigger than you remember seeing it. Make it bigger than life. Make it big, so big that everything is three or four or five or ten times the size it was. It's huge. How does the problem feel now? Some people are going to be like, whoa, I don't want it that big. No, no, no. That's okay. Shrink it back down. Shrink it back down and make it really small. So that's one of the visual characteristics we can do with this problem. Another one is color. Is it color or in black and white? Are you seeing the problem as colorful? Because if you are, turn it to black and white. How does it feel then? How about making it uh, dimmer or brighter? If it's black and white, make it dimmer. If it was started off as black and white, make it color and make it brighter. You know, you change these submodalities of the representation in your mind so that you can feel differently about it. And it's amazing what happens because how we symbolize reality, how we represent reality in our mind is attached directly to our emotions. And this can be a huge, huge help with anything you're going through. So if I always recall the problem as really big, really bright, and very colorful, what if I took the color away, sucked it out, and made the scene dim, and then made the scene the size of my thumb, and then put it inside a little ring box and closed the ring box? How does the problem feel now? The problem seems to go away for me. I mean, this isn't the solution and the problem simply goes away, but how do you feel about it? Does it feel different? And this is just one aspect, one submodality, one thing that you can try. You know, we work with time, we, we can work with visual. How about auditory? How about we listen and hear things that we can change? For example, you have a scene in your mind and someone says something that really makes you feel bad. Put the head of a donkey on their body. And they say, hey, and they really try to make you feel bad using the, those same words. I'm not sure how to do a donkey. Yeehaw. <laughs> Make this donkey sound of them talking to you through a donkey's head. I mean, this is funny to me. It may not be funny to you. If you have something else that's funnier, Winnie the Pooh's head, a Smurf head, I don't know, Mickey Mouse, then use that. So what we're doing is we still own the memory. We still have the memory. We still know it exists. We still know it's real. We're changing how we're representing it in our mind so that we can feel differently about it. So once we change the head and change the, you know, using the visual, change the head, using the auditory, changing the sound that comes out of their mouth, and even when they try to say it, the donkey's head might be speaking not like a donkey, but perhaps like a kitten. <laughs> and so when this donkey with the kitten's mouth tries to say what it said to you back then, it feels different. That's what all this is about. Having you feel differently about these memories, whether they're painful or traumatic. This is so cool that you can do this. You have this ability. You have this control. Because again, how many times do we play the bad memories over and over again and they are the same every time. And we feel just as bad every time hey, we can't change history, so let's change how we represent history. Hey, we can't change what happened, let's just change how it makes us feel. That's what I want. That's what I do. That's what I want you to do. At least try it in different scenarios. Like when you're in a meeting and everyone's tense about something and you're stressed out about being there, you can change the visuals, you can change the auditories, you might even change the feelings, like the kinesthetics. 
For example, um, while you're in the meeting, you can actually visualize that you have your shoes off and you're standing in beach sand. It changes things. You're still in the meeting. It's still happening. You can do it in real time, but I feel the beach sand under my feet. It just makes me approach this conversation differently. And the sun is shining above you and you can hear the waves. There's some auditory. How about some gustatory, which is taste? How about you're eating your favorite thing while feeling the beach sand? You know, some people might say hot dogs or some people might say um, a salad or, you know, key lime pie, whatever it is for you. You can taste it. As soon as I say key lime pie, my mouth waters, but you can taste whatever it is inside of you and you can smell what it smells like and it changes your state. You can do this with memories. You can do this with things that are happening now in real time. And it can really help um, alter how you represent things in your mind and how it feels when you think about them. So this stuff is really cool. And there's so many more things you can do with your thoughts because they're yours. You own them. You can do anything you want. And what happens often is that when you have that thought again, it's hard to keep out what you've changed. So let's just say that you had a traumatic memory and then one day you get triggered and that traumatic memory comes back, highly likely that what you added today will appear in that memory again. It might even make you laugh. And that's what's cool about it. It's like I can picture these memories that I have in my past with people with donkey heads talking like kittens and that uh, don't affect me anymore. And so my brain is trying to say, hey, hey, look at this. But uh, I don't feel so bad about it. And pretty soon the memory can go away. This isn't a solution for post-traumatic stress and all that. I'm just saying it's something you can work with, something you can use to see what happens. So as we end the show, during the outro, after my thank yous, I'm going to give you a few more characteristics that you can change about thought to help you question like I did with the first segment, help you question things. We use time, but I'm going to give you a few more characteristics you can play with, uh, just like we talked about, to give you some more resources for your toolbox so that maybe your life can be just a bit happier, just a bit more joy, just a bit less pain, suffering, and all the stuff that we don't want. Thanks for joining me today. We'll be right back. I'll say my thank yous, and uh, we'll go over the last stuff momentarily. Talk to you in a bit. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to head over to quietbegins.com if you care about getting rid of your anxiety. If not, don't head over to quietbegins.com and you won't have to. <laughs> and I want to take a moment to thank iTunes reviewers LAC or Lacey and JJewel101. Uh, Lacey said the panic episode blew her mind. I actually re-ran an old episode called When Anxiety Attacks, The Panic Episode notice the play on words. And it was a very well-received episode because I talk about anxiety in a way that a lot of people don't. So it might be helpful to you if you don't have the safe system or if you do. Either way, that episode is a great starting point for those with anxiety. And of course, Jade Jewell wrote a very descriptive review for everyone to get a feel of what the show is about. And I appreciate that. I also want to thank the iTunes reviewer that goes by the name Walking Your Talk. And I think this is the same person, Maggie, that I thanked, I don't know, last week for donating to the show. I didn't know it was the same person. So I want to thank you for writing a review, Walking Your Talk. And um, I, I'm going to read a little bit of this. It's kind of fun. Paul, I'm not going to bang on about how many times I've listened to your show and said to myself, wow, how did he know I he needed to hear that today? Or such a great reminder. Or I love this guy's honesty. To put it into context of how much I appreciate your show, this will be the first time I've donated and also written a review. Keep up the good work. I've shared your podcast with friends and family, and they have all thanked me for doing that after hearing a couple of your episodes. And I'm so glad you changed the introduction to your show. <laughs> Thank you so much. I think your name is Maggie, walking your talk. And I appreciate the donation once again, and I am so grateful that I am the first. You wrote a review and donated, so I, it sounds like I'm your first, and that's a very special place to be. <laughs> and thank you for sharing the show. And yes, the introduction was changed, I don't know, several months ago, 
And I think it's good. I like it. No complaints yet. So thank you for that. And I want to thank the patron members over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Talk about supporting the show. If you want to donate or support the show uh, through a monthly contribution, that is the best way to do it. And not only will that help us continue doing the show over here, but it also gives you something back. There's tons of private episodes, free workbooks, discounts on workbooks, discounts on my coaching services. And uh, if you're in the patron site over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com, you can show your support, you can show your thanks, and of course, this allows us to continue going along with what we're doing over here. So thank you, existing patron members. I appreciate you. And if you don't see your name at theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash supporters, let me know. I want to put it up there. And I want to give you a quick reminder of the Love and Abuse podcast. If you're in a difficult relationship and you're not sure what to do, that might be the podcast that uh, helps you out. It's at loveandabuse.com. It's my other show and uh, a little bit more low key than this one, a little bit deeper into the subject of emotional abuse, manipulation, control, and other things that we really don't want in our relationships. So uh, I talk about how to deal with them, what they are, what to look for, so on and so on. I think it's a very helpful show for a lot of people. Loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And so, like I said, I'm going to give you a few more tools to use when it comes to thoughts, unwanted thoughts that uh, you are ready to feel differently about. I know it'd be great if we could just get rid of them. Uh, Sometimes it's possible, but it usually happens after some sort of healing. This is kind of a path to healing. I wouldn't say these are actual healing because all we're doing is altering the representation of the thought in our mind, but it can be helpful. In fact, I've had thoughts that have gone away and have no meaning to me whatsoever now because of these types of processes that I'm talking about today. And so, you know, utilize these, use these whenever you can play with them, make some stuff up and you're going to find that it changes things inside of you because it's a lot easier to go through life without carrying the burden of unnecessary pain and unnecessary anguish. You you shouldn't have to. We don't need that stuff. So what can we do to diminish that or dissolve it? Let's change some of the characteristics. So I'm going to give you a few things to play with. Uh, One, I mean, we talked about time and we talked about the senses or the modalities and the sub-modalities, which are the internal representations of those senses and how we can change our thoughts. There's also other things like um, distance, Like if you think about a problem in your life or something that has happened to you, something traumatic, something painful, um, what happens when you picture that and then you push it way out there? What happens when you picture it and you push it way out there? It's just way off in the distance. Does it have the same feeling? Is it a different feeling? What happens if you put it way out into orbit? You can barely see it. It's like a star in the sky. When it's way up there, how does it feel? It might be a different feeling for you. So that's distance. There's also location, like where it is. It could be like six feet in front of you. Now, that's also to do with distance. But what if this took place in the desert instead of where you were? Or if you were in the desert, how about if it takes place on a ship in the ocean? You know, you change the location. If it's inside, what would it be like if it was outside? If it's above ground, what would it be like if it was underground? You know, you have these different ideas, different thoughts. What this is really doing, and I read this in a uh, memory book once, is that the brain loves novelty. The brain loves new things. In fact, it loves them so much, it's more likely to remember the novel items that you add to it, the new things that you add to it. So if you see a telephone pole that's painted like a barbershop pole, red and white, that's probably going to stick out in your mind. Even me explaining it now might make it stick out in your mind and you might recall it a week from now uh, easily because it's so novel, it's so different, it's so unique. That's what altering these thoughts does is that when you add something novel or unique to a memory that you replay the same way over and over again, at least in the past, you change the memory. It's so unique that the brain brings it back up and says, oh, this painful memory and 
this donkey-headed person that talks like a kitten. <laughs> so this is helpful for the memories that might have some pain attached to them. So another one is volume, the, the volume of the noise. Like if somebody's yelling at you, what happens when they yell, it comes out in a whisper. And they're just as angry and they had the same face, but they're whispering so loud. And, and it's different and it could make a different feeling inside of you. Or someone who whispered was yelling really loud and there were lots of people looking over going, what the heck is that person doing? So the volume, you can play with the volume. You can play with the volume of the birds overhead. It's so loud. All you can hear is birds. And the person that was yelling at you, you can't even hear that person anymore because all you hear is birds. You can have some fun with that. We talked about color, like brightening the colors. How about changing the colors? How about looking at uh, like the telephone pole? If it's not brown, it's red and white. If it's not red and white, it's painted like a zebra. Or thinking about something else in your life that was traumatic. You know, if you got... I remember getting hit by the belt. <laughs> my dad hit me with a belt twice in my life. Thankfully, only twice. But if I had some sort of painful, traumatic thought about that time, which I don't think I do, but if I did, I might change the color of the belt into something pink and feminine and see if that changes things. Probably not, <laughs> to be honest. But I could probably change the belt into a feather boa and see if it hurts as much in my memory <laughs> and see my dad holding it while he's wearing a stormtrooper outfit from Star Wars. You know, you could just play with that and see where it takes you. Uh, there's also changing something called perceptual position. This is changing your perception in a way that you are not in first person. How about you're in third person watching yourself go through that traumatic event? You are standing 20, 30, 50 feet away watching you go through it. This is something I've talked about on the show before. Like you're sitting in a movie theater and watching yourself on the screen. You're in a different position watching yourself go through what's happening. And when you're not looking through your own eyes, because you're separated from that person over there, you could be 20 feet above the event looking down. And how does it feel then when you're separated? That's called dissociation. When you can separate from yourself, you know, it's all in your mind. You separate from yourself and you're over there going through that event and you're dissociated from that person over there going through it. How about double or triple or quadruple dissociation where you step outside of yourself that's watching yourself and you step back and watch yourself, watch yourself, watch yourself. You could do this until you have no negative emotion at all. In fact, it can become ridiculous. And it doesn't belittle what happened. It doesn't invalidate what happened. You just want to change the emotion attached to it. Because it would be a lot easier to deal with something if there was a little bit of laughter or a little less sting so that you can deal with it, so that you can process it, so that you can do something with it. Because I've worked with people that won't even go there. I don't want to go there, so I don't want to talk about it. And they never visit it. And they're like on the cusp of pain and hurt and tears, and they don't want to visit it. They never go there because they don't, think, they don't feel safe doing that. So if we add these little elements, these little characteristics to our thoughts, to our memories, it can help us process Let's see what else. I'll give you a couple more. Um, how about adding a mentor or a guide in the past? Like whatever happened to your past, I can remember something that happened to me when I was four. My stepfather held me down and he rubbed my dirty underwear on my face. I was four years old and he's teaching me a life lesson or something. You shouldn't poop your pants or whatever. And if I imagine myself in that space, which I've already done a lot of healing around, but if I imagine myself in that space, and I see someone that I admire, respect, and feel safe with in the room with me. And he is just telling me, or she is just telling me, hey, look, it's going to be uncomfortable for a while, but you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. And I'll be here when it's over. I can't stop what's happening, but I'm going to be here for you. And we're going to get through this together. Imagine a person of strength, someone that you really admire or something or an animal or some fantasy element. I've had clients that have brought in different types of beings, fantasy creatures. Well, I look at it as fantasy. They may think it's real. I mean, for them, their mentor, their role model, their guide in life. I've had people conjure up dragons there to protect them, there to be with them. And that can be very powerful. So I can see this mentor in the room where I'm at 
knowing that, oh boy, I don't like what I'm going through, but at least I know I'm going to get through this because I trust that person over there can be very helpful. And how about this last one? Um, Make everyone in your memory a hamster (laughs) or something else. Even make yourself a hamster, but an extremely smart one. (laughs) So you actually change so much reality that even though the subject doesn't change and what happened doesn't change, you actually change so much that the memory gets confused. Like you get confused about the memory. You might still have some healing to do about the pain and the trauma, but the memory doesn't have so much of the impact it used to have. This is what all this can do, is change the impact, change the meaning. Doesn't mean there might not still be accountability, you know, for someone else's bad behavior, doesn't mean that you don't need to process it or may need to go to therapy or may need to work with someone or express to your best friend. doesn't mean any of that. It just means we're desensitizing you to the effects that the memory had on you. Because I tell you what, I'd much rather see my stepfather uh, slipping on a banana peel and fall face first into a giant bowl of pudding in the memory that I have instead of the only one I used to play back over and over and over again. And the more you add to it and the more you change and the more you think about it and add more stuff or change stuff, it does start to confuse the memory a little bit so that the emotion doesn't have such an impact. doesn't mean you forget. I mean, you can just go, well, of course I know what happened. You're going to know what happened. But why not change the impact? Life becomes a little bit more meaningful when you can change some of the meaning from the past. So with that, I want you to keep an open mind. This will help you step into your power and create all kinds of thoughts and memories so that you can work with them and create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure and above all. And this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.